So, you're back for more. Couldn't stay away from the Eternal of Hot Takes. Well, of course, guys, I'm Mr. Comet number five. You can always find me on Twitter at Mr. Comet number five, all spelled out except for the five. And uh, I am here to bring the hotness. And this is Murphus. You can always find me on Twitter at Murphus Alvi MTG. And I am here with very medium hot takes, maybe lukewarm. And I'm Bosch and Roll. I, you can find me at Bosch and Roll on Twitter and YouTube. And I am here to hose down these takes. I'm the fire brigade on Mr. Combo's takes. I hope. Unless I end up agreeing with him. He might sell me on some of them. Let's see what happens. <laughs> One could say he's the blue elemental blast for this channel. Right. I'm the blue elemental blast for your Bane fire. Let's see how big X is on this episode. Well, guys, before we get into the segments, this is the inaugural episode. We're very excited. So we wanted to at least give you a little preview into what you can expect from the Eternal of Hot Takes uh, segment. It's going to come out about every six weeks. It's always going to have Bosch and Roll, Murphus, and myself on here. And really what we're doing is we're tapping into Bosch and Roll's knowledge of uh, when he was a judge in the past. You know, when it comes to rules, regulations, especially around maybe even why cards have certain salt meters or are on a ban list with our Council of the Unbanned. But then we're going to really tap into his legacy roots. Um, still streaming legacy, still playing that. And we're, we're going to kind of see, you know, legacy is kind of like the rich, cooler, older cousin of EDH. Uh, you know, they have way more money. They clearly went to Harvard. Uh, they have a trust fund. And we're just over here on food stamps trying to use our COVID money to buy more cards. Uh, so it'll be cool to kind of see deck construction and strategies, how maybe some things in Legacy that we just never thought of could translate to Commander. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, let's go ahead and go with Legacy versus EDH. And the topic for this episode is going to be how do the two formats approach building out their mana bases when you're doing a deck? I mean... I know kind of how I do it in Commander, but, you know, Legacy and 60 card just, it's very foreign to me. It seems like the the strategy that I do for Commander totally doesn't apply. So, Bosh, let's start with you. Like, how how do Legacy players approach building out a mana base? I mean, lands, mana rocks, dorks, there's just so much out there. Yeah, there really is. And you kind of have to start from the top and work your way down uh, if you think of your deck like a house where your mana is going to be the foundation. Unlike building a house where you start with the foundation, you actually start with the roof when you're building a legacy deck. And what do you want this thing to do is the question. Uh, do you want to just hit your land drops and cast interactive spells and answer their threats until they're out of them and then you win it like a control deck? Then you're going to play something to the tune of 21 to 23 lands which is a very small number out of 60 like a standard deck it's not unusual to see 28 lands in a standard control oh, deck. okay so like 21 22 this is all subsidized by ponder and brainstorm that's how you're hitting those land drops and uh that's that's a deck building theory called xerox it was uh invented in the the mid 90s uh somebody figured out that you can just play 18 lands in your deck if you have opt and portent and whatever the cantrips were at the time 
to cheat on your land count. Basically, I can keep a one lander if three of my cards in my hand cost one mana and let me draw a card. And then later in the game, I won't be drawing all these crappy lands. I'll be drawing sweet cantrips to keep the spells flowing. And that comes with a risk of you won't have so many lands in your opening hand, but the payoff on the other end is you have so many more spells in your deck. And when you're building a control deck, like Bant Control is my bread and butter right now. And by Bant Control, I'm talking about Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, Endurance, Swords to Plowshares, Brainstorm, Ponder, and Force of Will. And then Season to Taste around that. That's a, a 21 to 23 land deck. It's also a Life from the Loam deck. I play one Life from the Loam just for value in there. And that's because there's Wasteland in the format as well. So sure. uh, one Loam will usually counteract an entire Wasteland deck's ability to take you off anything. Uh, you just pick up those three lands they wasted and you get all those cards back they don't. That's hard to come back from. That's what if you're just trying to play like fair, normal land drop magic. That's what that looks like. You can cheat even harder then you're playing a deck like Delver of Secrets that has the max cantrips, the max free spells, and it uses like Dragon's Rage Channeler as additional cantrips. Every time you cast a spell, you get to surveil one. You got Ragavan in that deck. It poops out treasures. You're cheating mana there. Uh, you're using days to pick up your lands where you weren't going to have a land drop anyway because you're playing on one or two lands. Days is in some ways card advantage or it helps you hit the land drop that you would have missed where it normally looks like a cost. And Delver historically has gone as low as 17 lands. I think they're on 19 most of the time these days, but 18 is that like sweet average historically. And they have to play islands because they're a days deck. So you have to build like you want to cast days. Uh, we're, we're in this weird renaissance right now where blue red Delver is playing steam vents. Just it has all four volcanic islands and then two steam vents on top because they realize that basic island doesn't cast Ragavan and basic mountain doesn't cast days. <laughs> so you just yep. needed two more volcanic islands and it's worth the two life to make sure you can daze to protect your Ragavan every turn one. And that that's a cool thing going on there. Uh, it's usually like 15 or six mana producing lands, four wastelands, and then you fill in the rest with fetch lands. Oh, okay. Right. The fetch lands, huge bread and butter of legacy as well. Uh, it's mana fixing, it's deck thinning, it's cantrip manipulation. You cast that brainstorm, you supercharge your hand, put your worst two cards back, crack a fetch land, and now they're gone rather than having to work through those cards later. Or you cast ponder. I like the top card. I don't like the other two. Draw for ponder, crack a fetch land, the other two are gone. And there's a lot of manipulating the top three cards of your deck and then shuffling away the ones you don't want in Legacy. Interesting. So... You know, from my perspective, when I start building out my deck, so I actually do the same thing. I build my roof first before I build my foundation. So I actually go through and I build out my non-land, non-ramp card first. So I basically try to figure out what is the meat of my deck trying to accomplish, including interaction and stuff, but I just don't do dorks, I don't do rocks, and I don't do uh, mana-only lands. And so I'll usually start there. I always try to make sure I have a minimum 35% of my deck open for land. So that in a commander, that'll be between 33 and 35, depending on if you're doing partners. Um, I've found that that's kind of the sweet spot for me. Um, I know CEDH will go sub 30% of the deck will be lands, you know, 25 to 30. Because uh, it's a lot of fetches, a lot of zero drop rocks. 
Um, but I don't know. I feel like for general commander, that's usually been a, a good sweet spot. Uh, Murph, you know, how do you usually start when you're building out a deck? Do you go roof down or do you actually build out your base and then try to go from there? Yeah, I think it really depends on what you're trying to do. So I tend to think in terms of a game plan. Um, and Bosch, what you were talking about with the most recent iteration of Delver, where it's really a, a Ragavan channeler deck and it has Delver in it, right? Like that's really what we're talking about here. And uh, it sounds like from what you said, the meat and potatoes of that deck is Ragavan with a daze or Ragavan with a force backup. That's the, that's the starting point for an ideal game plan, right? Yeah. Uh, Ragavan is the, the hottest one, but the deck plays 10 one drops. It's usually four Ragavan, four Dragon's Rage Channeler, two Delver. And you want to leave lead on a one drop and start asking your opponent questions. That's really what that deck is about. It's asking questions. And the control decks in Legacy right now have eight functional swords to plowshares. There's eight actual plows and then four or four plows and four prismatic ending, which as a control wizard, thank you, Wizards of the Coast, for prismatic ending. <laughs> that was a gift. We needed that. Uh, I love that. Like I haven't worried about a Chalice of the Void in eight months or however long. Modern it's Horizons so good. Been out. It's so nice. Uh, like that Planeswalker I couldn't answer before. It's gone. See you later. Don't care. Like it's it's just love the card. Anyway, uh, you start asking questions. You want that one drop out there. Maybe they'll play around days. Maybe they won't. Maybe you'll have the days. Maybe you won't. But they have to think about it, even if you don't have it. And you have these little exchanges back and forth until surprise Murktide region arrives. Like they right. Had to, they had to do all this. Like none of those are ignorable. Dragon's Rage Channeler, the selection is going to bury you. Ragavan, the mana advantage, potential card advantage is going to bury you. Delver is the only one that you can really look at as a life total equation of I'm at 20. I can take five hits from this before I'm in bolt range and I can plan for that sort of situation. Uh, but Ragavan, it really does put the sweat in you immediately of like, I have the plow. Do I just shove it into days or do I accept what's going to come when the Delver deck has three men on turn two and might get a ponder off the top of my deck? And uh, they really put you to the sweat early and then... Murktide Regent just comes off the top rope like John Cena and <laughs> knocks you, just asks a totally different question after they've already exhausted your answers. Yeah, can you tag my my seven power flyer, eight power flyer, ten power flyer? Yeah, I, I what I appreciate about that is that we're talking about the question. And when I build an EDH deck, I'm thinking in terms of questions. What question am I asking and when am I asking it? The Delver deck is asking, really, the Ragavan deck is asking, can you deal with my Ragavan? Can you deal with my Dragon Rage Channeler? Can you, do you have enough answers that you can answer my Murktide when it drops later in the game? But it's starting the clock on turn one. Depending on the deck I'm building, my clock might start on turn three, turn five. But I'm asking the question, how do I get there? And how do I, what do I need to be true about my deck in order to, make sure that the question I'm asking is less than optimally answerable. So uh, so I like to build my core package. What is my end game? What is my, what is my end game look like? How do I move towards that end game? And then what do I need to know about my land base from there? So 
um, I might construct a 20 card skeleton and then try to ask the question, do I need to be hitting land drops every turn or do I just need, am I a six mana on turn five deck or am I a three mana on turn five deck? Like those two things do exist in the commander format. It's all about what you're trying to do. Yeah. I love that thought process. Uh, I offer coaching as well. And one of the first questions I asked my coaching clients is what is when they bring a deck to me and they're like, all right, let's fix this deck together. The first question is what does a board state look like where you've won? And what does a board state look like where you've lost? And how do we maximize one of those while minimizing the other? And the number of people who just uh, haven't been presented with that question before and they actually don't know. They're just sort of like, oh, I just put a bunch of cards together. That <laughs> it, and, and like in Commander, that's fine. Like play the cards that make you happy. Play the cards you own. It's not always about executing a flawless plan. But if you do want to step into that next level of deck building and what does uh, the synergy look like, uh, like I can use my my own Commander deck. Uh, like Corvold is my favorite. It's a, a casual build. Of course build. it is. Yeah. I, I love me some <laughs> King Corvold. And uh, I I don't play any two-card combos. My ramp is very thin. It's just like Soul Ring, Cultivate, Kaldama's Reach. And, and, but like my end game, I am building to a situation where I have you know 20 Saprolings in play. And then I play Zulaport Cutthroat and sack them all to Phyrexian Altar and just zap the table. But to make that happen, uh, I have to have a consistent curve of things that make the tokens, things that generate card advantage or rebuy the token maker. Because, like, the board's going to get wiped. And what happens uh, after a board wipe? You got to plan for that. Um, I was playing at a local place recently and just pick up games. And I we played with this guy who just sat down with us, never seen him before. Haven't seen him since, but, uh, he, uh, he played four different decks in four different games and all of them were creature, 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 dead to wrath. That's wait. What... Are, are you, are you sure you weren't playing big tuck? Cause that literally sounds like his decks. <laughs> oh, if that, if that's big tuck, uh, it might've been him, but, but yeah, uh, like, uh, my my dude uh, was like you know, played Heliod in one game and had like a turn one Soul Warden, turn two Lifelink creature, turn three Heliod counters flying everywhere. Then turn five, I cast Crux of Fate. All his things went in the graveyard, and he just was never in the game again. And yeah, uh, like if you're picturing this is the board state where I lose. If the answer is Wrath of God, uh, that's going to happen in a four player game. So you should have a plan. Like uh, you you should have like the heroic intervention or the the ghost way or the dauntless escort or like the selfless spirit there's so many ways to insulate against the wrath of god and if the board where you win looks like i have a bunch of creatures with plus one counters flying around and the board where i lose looks like there's no creatures on it you should plan for that totally and and i i totally get you there like knowing knowing how you lose and where you lose is super important and to kind of bring it back around to this idea of mana based construction right like we're talking about um yeah how do we 
not necessarily optimize our game and our cards, right? You can have all the best cards in all the land and have the tightest strategy and have your win percentage be, you know, 30 to 50% and be a giant bummer. Uh, or you can be great. I don't know. Uh, in an EDH game, like plus 30% is, uh, that's pretty rough to play against in a four player pod. Am I right? And, uh, so I guess when we're talking about building an end game and building an optimal game state, knowing where you lose and where you win, how does that impact how you would build a mana base? Yeah. You have to make sure your mana base gets you there. Um, if, like if you are a Selesnia deck and most of your creatures are green, but your Wrath Insulation is white, you got to make sure you have that white mana. Uh, you, you can't play just uh, 20 forests, 8 planes, 28 lands, let's go. Uh, like you're, I mean, you could if that's your budget and the power level of your pod always, but if you are in a place where you can proxy it or, or buy it or whatever, like that first sun petal grove is going to be better than the 20th forest. The first uh, temple garden is going to be better than that 19th forest. And like the more you can spread out your mana so it actually casts all your spells, the, the better it's going to be. Well, I think the only other thing that I would add to this before uh, we move to the next segment is, you know, kind of as we're talking about how do you make sure you have, you know, curved your mana base around your in-game plan so you're getting to that point i think in commander where maybe in legacy this is where the two formats look at it drastically different is i usually like i'll look at my commander and i'll say who are you like i'll start asking my commander questions like you guys say you got to ask yourself questions about what you want your deck to do i actually ask my commander like what do you want your ramp to look like and like for example the the two that i wrote down is my karametra deck I hardly have any ramp in the deck because I literally have ramp in the command zone. All I actually want in that deck is I want cheap one and two drop creatures because then once Karametra's out there, it's one land gets me a land out of the deck. And with her effect, I can go grab dual lands if I want. So like Karametra, I build it with zero rocks and spells to go get lands because Karametra does it for me and you still have your blend of mana dorks but then I look at my Kalia deck and I think that's a perfect example or even my Animar deck either one are ones where the commander doesn't really do anything ramp wise like Kalia could cheat creatures out but she doesn't inherently grow my mana base over the course of the game so I have to make sure I have plenty of rocks in my Kalia deck versus lands, because Kalia is also an MLD mass land destruction deck, because she don't need no lands. So let's get more of rocks out there to use that versus Animar. It's all lands uh, with a few rocks in there, um, because I'm not really trying to blow up a bunch of lands. So I think in Commander, and Murph, I'm curious if you see this as well, sometimes you look at your Commander and say, what are your colors? What are you doing? And that actually kind of before you even figure out what you want your deck to do, that kind of puts you on a path of what mana base you are going to put in. Yeah, totally. I, I ask I ask a fundamentally similar question after I ask myself, what am I trying to do? I ask my commander, what are you trying to do? Um, and, you know, ramp in the command zone or a commander with sub three mana value, like casting cost, I'm more apt to dip below that 35 33 percent number um yeah especially especially if i can have a uh, high number 
of two or less a uh, two or less mana value um, ways to ramp, even if it's a single turn. Um, I'm thinking here of my Anya Falconrath Reanimator deck. Like that deck does a lot of things poorly, but the one thing it does really well is have a cheap commander. And so yeah. I'm I'm sitting on 31 lands in that deck with Dark Rituals and Rite of Flame and um, uh, other ones and Lotus Petal and and things that allow me mm-hmm. to skip on that land count. And Bosh, I as we're talking about mana and thinking about mana and legacy versus EDH, uh, my question for you is where is the equation for you when you're building a legacy deck where you start to go even further down on lands and start to add in some things like Lotus petals, dark ritual, cabal ritual to make up that difference. What, what is different about your deck construction process, your mana base construction process? So the the legacy card pool is actually pretty well controlled, managed by the ban list as far as mana rocks go. Uh, in EDH, uh, Signets, Arcane Signet, uh, Darksteel, Ingot, like that sort of thing is, like your curves are higher. Those sort of, like the term rock is just a lot more general. A two mana rock in legacy is completely unplayable. The, the rocks that we have are like Grim Monolith, which only taps for colorless and only once. So only certain decks that want a quick burst of colorless mana are even going to use that card. And that's a pretty thin number of decks that actually get played. Then we have Mox Opal, where you need enough artifacts to turn it on. There's a thin number of decks that want that too. Lotus Petals, one and done. Most legacy decks are trying to accumulate resources. Uh, Like Mox Diamond is really the only Mox that or mana rock that sticks around and taps for the same color reliably. And a deck like that needs to play 30 plus lands or else you're not going to have a land to discard because legacy is about resource acquisition. And you usually see Mox Diamond in decks with life from the loam that can recoup that land you lost. Usually on turn one, that's the dream where you fetch land, (laughs) right? You, You fetch land, Mox Diamond, discard a land, loam back your fetch land and the land you discarded to Mox Diamond. Like that's the dream. Uh, and But your deck has to be built with enough lands to get that off the ground and something to recoup that card disadvantage. So the decks that use the rocks that are available in Legacy are going to be blazing. They are willing, they're here for a good time, not a long time. And <laughs> the, the, the decks that, I mean, the most, if we want to go all the way to the far end of the spectrum, there are decks in Legacy with one and zero lands in them. There is actual mana list dredge, which is just a phenomenal outlier. Richard Garfield would have uh, wept in his dreams and canceled Magic the Gathering in 1992 if he knew this was coming. It the, This deck literally chooses to take the draw when it is on the die, when it gets to choose player draw. It draws up to eight cards in hand, discards to hand size, and then starts dredging that card that it just discarded. There are no mana sources in the deck whatsoever. And that's a very slow kind of deck. The bet in a deck like that is that your opponent is not prepared to play against someone who is not intending on casting any spells. It's all triggered abilities and replacement effects. And uh, you have no play to the game. A rest in peace, you're done. It, literally ice cold. Leyland avoid, game's over. But it it is a 
a sidestep of normal magic. And then we got Oops All Spells and Belcher, which are turn one combo decks that they're here for uh, Oops All Spells uses the modal double face lands uh, mm-hmm. from the most recent Zendikar set. It, so it has lands, but not really. And that deck plays Balustrade Spy or Undercity Enforcer, Informer, I think it's Informer, uh, to mill itself into the graveyard. And you just, it's mill target player till they hit a land. You don't have any. You target yourself. Your deck's in the graveyard. Three Narcomoebas come back. There's a Dread Return in your graveyard. There's a Thassa's Oracle in your graveyard, and the game's over. And that happens on turn one. And they usually have Pact of Negation or Thought Seize or something to back it up. It's a mm. very fast deck and doesn't need lands. Uh, Goblin Charbelcher works in a similar way. That's a land grant deck. Land grant is a one and a green sorcery that if you have no lands in your hand, you can reveal your hand instead of paying its mana cost. And it's search your deck for a forest, put it in your hand. Belcher plays one taiga in the deck and it uses land grant, reveals its hand with no lands in it, obviously, because there's only one. You get your one taiga. That one taiga casts the first right of flame. And then the right of flames, the the lotus petals, all of those things, the lion's eye diamonds, they get you up to seven mana exactly, which is enough to cast and activate Goblin Char Belcher, which reveals whatever 50 cards are left in your deck and deals 50 to your opponent. And this also happens on turn one. So the the mana rocks that we have, they're not really here to grind. They're here to, to go off uh, very quickly. And that, like, other than Mox Diamond, uh, which is the... Mox Diamond usually indicates a control deck or a prison deck of some variety. Any other mana rock is in a combo deck, and there, there's not really anything in between. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think something that translates to our EDH audience for sure is... If you see Mox Diamond, be wary. Be on the lookout for shenanigans. And, uh, you know, there are blazing fast decks. There are blazing fast decks on the high end of the power level spectrum that are going to use these low to the grounds and sometimes one-off effects like rituals, like lotus petals, like grim monoliths to do the big thing and do it fast. Yep. Uh, And just for... Uh, for comparison, uh, my my Corvold deck, uh, going back to my commander, who are you? Corvold is a hungry boy. He costs five, and he did not he takes away your permanence when he comes into play and attacks. Like I have to play a game where I have many permanents in play to feed him, and I play thirty eight lands in that deck, plus Soul Ring, Arcane Signet, Sakura Tribelder, Cultivate, Kodama's Reach. I actually just cut one of my top end cards for a beanstalk giant this week because I just like need more material. I want to get to five mana on turn four and I want some material laying around to feed to Corvold that I won't regret later. Like that's the game plan that I'm trying to execute with my mana base in a deck like that. Uh, My other deck is Bosch because of course I have a Bosch deck and that deck is just turbo focused on finding my Mishra's Workshop because like that's a land that is banned in legacy but one of the most powerful lands ever printed but very narrow use it taps for three but you can only use it for artifacts and when your commander's an eight drop and it's in mono red uh, that's a place you can use a thing like that well awesome 
Well, th guys, that's some perspective on how mana bases get built in Legacy versus EDH. Do you like CMD Tower content? Do you wish you could have more of it? Well, you should head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. That's where we really lean on the community for help in running our channel, but also giving back to you as well. So for just literally a buck a month, you can join and get tons of soft value, opportunities to be on the show, interact with the collective in our very lively chat, and then for even just five, 15 or 25 bucks, you're gonna get swag. You're gonna get RK post tokens. Really, it's one of the best values out there. Patreon.com slash CMD tower. We're now on to counter meta. Uh, you might say, hey, why are we talking about counter meta? I don't want to counter the meta of my group. Ah, you think that, but how many times do you complain? Ugh, if they play another pillow fort deck, I'm going to scream. Or if they make me discard one more card, I might claw out my eyes. Well, counter meta is about us three talking about a problematic or theme that we see kind of coming throughout and leaning on Bosch on his legacy knowledge of maybe how we could counteract some of these things and how people do it in legacy. So today, kicking off the episode, we're going to be talking about Rakdos stacks. And uh, it was funny because when we were talking about this, Bosch was like, you know, I haven't really heard of Rakdos stacks. And it's not like, you know, it's um, has like a name like a, you know, uh, Cheerios deck. You know, it's not something that some famous guy made. But we've all played someone who's playing a Rakdos commander and they're making us discard cards. They're making us sacrifice permanence. And literally, we just lose life for normal game actions and it sucks and a lot of times people get very frustrated on how to deal with it so hopefully we can kind of give you guys some cards to be on the lookout for and answers so let's start with discard cards um you know this is usually where i see cards like pain magnification sire of insanity and captive audience show up um and it's it's just backbreaking i mean I was trying to find some creative ways that people can kind of deal with discard. And a card that I found that I thought was pretty cool, and I had literally never heard of it, was Psychic Purge. So this is a single blue. It's a sorcery. Um, it deals one damage to any target. It's like 270. And whenever a spell or an ability an opponent controls causes you to discard Psychic Purge, that player loses five life. So this is something that you can kind of... There's some decks that want to loot, draw, discard, or discard and draw. Um, I'm not a big player of that kind of stuff. But I think if you are in a meta where you do have a discard player and you like to play loot type of effects, I think Psychic Purge is a card that, like, don't sleep on it. It may... You know, it you could literally have it in there as almost like Angie Falcon Wrath fodder. I'm just going to discard you anyways to draw another card. But then if my opponent made me do it, oh, they're going to lose five life. You know, five life's not the end of the world in Commander, but it's a little something. So you could almost put a bunch of these nonsensical cards in here where, hey, my opponent makes me discard... I can actually make them lose some life, make them discard, maybe lose a permanent, some sort of negative effect to them. Um, I'm curious, Murphus, what are some like cards that you think that people should kind of know about? Hey, you are dealing with Rakdos, they're making you discard, and I don't want to, or I at least want to make them hurt while I'm hurting. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's some, uh, some of my favorite tech from uh, times long past is bottled cloister. Now, when you multiply the number of opponents from one to three, bottled cloister feels just just like the worst. Uh, bottled cloister is a four mana cost artifact from Ravnica. OG Ravnica that says at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, remove your hand from the game face down. And at the beginning of your upkeep, return all cards removed from the game with Bottle Cloister to your hand, then draw a card. So if you're playing against... I, the Honestly, the card that comes to mind is Croxa. The number of times I've been ground to the dust with a Croxa deck is uh, more than I care to remember. Uh... This could do some work. The issue that I've found with these decks, though, is that so much happens on your turn and so yeah. much is permanent-based uh, effects that tax your resources. We were talking about Legacy being a, a resource accumulation game, and this is, uh, yeah, this is the exact opposite, right? Um, so really, the, the card that I want to talk about is Howling Mine. And this is, this is typical of a whole lot of other cards that are much better than Howling Mine, or at least uh, that you can uh, manipulate to be asymmetrical. But just, over, just overcharging your resources, giving you more draws and more access to see more cards, um, will hold, you know, hopefully get you to the place where you can uh, really start interacting with those permanents that are causing the problem. Bosch, any uh, thoughts on some unique cards that kind of help counteract those discard Rakdos commanders? Yeah, you mentioned uh, the the blue card that does that. Uh, there's Gorilla Tactics in red as well, which oh. is a two-mana shock that if it gets discarded, it's a free four damage instead. So you can dome the person who's coming after you. Nice. Uh, Bottled Cloister was mentioned. Ignorant Bliss is a one in a red instant that does the same thing one shot. So you don't have to worry about your permanent surviving the turn cycle to get your hand back. Uh, that's just a, you come after me, you're going to lose your spell because my hand's in exile, safely in exile for the turn. Uh, a really cool one is Pure Intentions. This is a, a one white instant that whenever a spell or ability in opponent controls causes you to discard cards this turn, return those cards from your graveyard to Ooh, your hand. That's and nice. if pure intentions itself is ever discarded by an opponent, it comes back at the end of turn. Oh, so that's that, awesome. Right, that pain magnification, just float that pure intentions in your hand. Discard the same thing every turn. It bounces right back. And <laughs> just, you know, insulate yourself. If they ever go big, try to you know, mind shatter you or whatever it is, just cast the intentions, get all those cards back. And that's just a little bubble you can put yourself in. And that uh, answer, and that's like a hidden thing. Like until they waste a spell making you discard, they won't know that's in there. Yeah. And then like, oh, surprise, you're not coming after me again. Pick it back up. And then well, like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I really like this because it's only 30 cents. It is only one white. So it's not like a big uh, heavy CMC card that's going to tilt your curve in the opposite direction you want to go. Uh, it's an arcane spell for you arcane uh, tribal people. Uh, let's go. And I agree. This is... 
I really like this card. This this seems like a card that you put in a deck the same way that you put Rest in Peace in a deck. Sometimes people just put Rest in Peace in a deck, and it's like, well, it's here just in case someone makes me, you know, or someone is a graveyard deck. At least I have this here. But if you play it and no one's a graveyard deck, no one feels bad about having Rest in Peace in the deck. It's like, oh, well, it wasn't as impactful this gameplay, but I know the next game it will be. Seems like pure intentions could easily, because how many times do we get wheeled nowadays? I mean, that's not just a pure discard. That's just a wheel. Pure intentions with a wheel is banana hammock. Yeah, that banana is right in the hammock on, on wheel or windfall or is any of those. Uh, yeah. It doesn't affect time twister because that's not a discard, but there's a couple of uh, wheels where you just get to keep your hand and get the fresh seven. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty hot. Um, other, there are plenty of creatures that leap into play if they're discarded. Uh, there's mm -hmm. Wiltleaf Liege. That's a replacement effect. Uh, it, that's a, a lord for green creatures and white creatures. Four mana, four, four buffs your green guys, buffs your white creatures and buffs your green white creatures twice. So, uh, Selesnya decks could be into this. If it gets discarded, it jumps into play. Dodecapod is an artifact creature. It's a four mana three three. That's a zero mana five five. If it gets discarded, there's a lot of cool cards throughout Magic's history that punish discard. And if it's a repeatable permanent source of discard, uh, giving yourself uh, shroud. Uh, there's a true believer, Aegis of the Gods, uh, Leyline of Sanctity. The list goes on. There's a million ways to give yourself Shroud or Hexproof, uh, Privilege Position, uh, so many things like that. And you could always just pivot your interaction to punish those permanents that are in play. Uh, that Rakdos player with the Pain Magnification and the 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 this and the that whatever, Aura Shards, baby, shred yeah. it apart. <laughs> like, uh, advance your board, get a free kill on their, their best enchantment, and... If they're if they're on this griefer stack strat, you don't have to feel bad about that. Like they're mm -hmm. trying to deny your ability to play the game. Turnabout's fair play. Shards them. Well, and I think the last card that I want to bring up for this one before we move on to the next section is I think Library of Lang is a card that for a dollar thirty, guys, you just need to have. Like this is a card that probably if you just want to go buy four or five of them, you're you're not going to feel bad about it. Um, Library of Ling, single colorless artifact. Uh, you have no maximum hand size, but if an effect causes you to discard a card, you discard it, but then you may put it on top of your library instead of your graveyard. So I like it because it is a replacement effect because it is instead of your graveyard. So if someone has a rest in peace, you can choose to put it straight on top of your library. But then, I mean, there are times where you have to discard and it's like, well... I actually don't really care about this island because I got four other islands in my hand. Um, or, you know, I actually want my Kozilek in the graveyard. Let me actually put it down there to shuffle everything up, Mount Monster Mash. Or it could be, hey, I have my game winner. I have one card in hand. Well, let's go into the top. You know, that's how I'm going to win. So I like that flexibility that Lang gave, gives you. A library of Lang with a wheel on the stack is cool too. It's mm. basically lets you loot your whole hand. Like the islands can hit the bin. I'm going to put the three spells on top, bin the two lands, draw fresh seven, including the three I just kept. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, one one thing I want to add from the, the legacy school of thought is that dead cards are always bad. Uh, the There is a deck building cost. Uh, you get 100 cards in commander. So 
choosing to play a card like Library of Lang or Pure Intentions costs you 1% of your deck. And sometimes it's going to be like a scrappy creature battle and you're going to be like, oh, I need that. I need that sweeper. I need that uh, Acroma or like, you know, whatever's mm-hmm. going to bust this open for me. And you draw Pure Intentions and build into your, like, unless you know uh, your homie who's always on stacks is going to be in the pod, uh, maybe have a little, you know, like casual sideboard of like, uh, I, I have these 10 cards that I can, if I know, uh, Tommy's here being a jerk with Rakdos stacks, I can, I can pivot or have ways to use those cards. Like use that, that looter, uh, like discard the, the pure intentions and just cash it in for a new card. Uh, put brainstorm in your deck, get rid of it. Um, even if it's just like a prowess trigger or something that cares if you've cast a spell this turn, like have some way uh, to to cash in on these these rando cards because it's it's gonna feel bad. It all the times that you're not playing against Racto stacks, it's gonna feel pretty bad to draw these cards. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. And, yeah, and that was that was actually just one thought that I had as we're uh, before we move on to the next segment is that sometimes you can just force the action and that's how you play around it. Uh, friend of the cast, ultra budget Bruce, uh, had a Mogus deck for a long time and it was the worst. And that Mogus deck has been reincarnated so many different times as Torbran and as, um, uh, what's the gruel God Clothus. It's mm. a Clothus deck. Now it's had so many iterations and every time the action is forced, everybody's losing life. Then we're doubling the life loss. Everybody's losing cards. Sometimes just opponent removal is the best kind of removal. Um, so if you can, if you can push your board advantage to actually make the damage, the life loss from some of these permits asymmetrical, that can that can really put the brakes on these kind of stacksy life loss permanent based disruption decks yeah for sure well let's let's go to the sacrifice permanent section because this is the one that actually ticks me off the most when i'm playing someone in rectos and they're doing a staxi deck uh because the number one and murphis you just mentioned it mogus he's a legendary indestructible enchantment creature god that could be in your command zone it literally says on the body during everyone's upkeep they're sacking fucking creatures or losing life um it's so incredibly frustrating and it's so difficult to deal with it so i know that there's ways that you can like have a you you cannot have to sacrifice when an opponent makes you but i actually wanted to talk about how can we punish someone when they're making us do this so i actually think a very cool card that bosh to your point would actually have use outside of someone making you sacrifice all the time is martyr's bond Martyr's Bond is four colorless white, white enchantment, 30, 40 cents. Um, Whenever Martyr's Bond or another non-land permanent you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices a permanent that shares a card type with it. So I think this is a great way to, you know, kind of, it's not so much forcing the action, it's just more kind of putting it out there. Huh, you got Mogus on the battlefield. Well, I just put Martyr's Bond. So I guess all of you guys are going to be losing creatures until someone gets rid of Mogus. 
You know, is that is that how we're going to play this? Um, and the fact that it makes the opponent sacrifice, it's not like destroy a permanent that an opponent controls. It gets around the indestructible thing. And so I think, you know, effects like that could be an interesting way to look at combating sacrifice stacks, decks, or players. Yeah, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon. I mean, I came locked and loaded with like, uh, Tajiru Preserver uh, and Retribution Angel and Yasharn and all these things that make it so sacrificing and paying life are not options. But now that we're on this, how do we punish? <laughs> I mentioned my Bosch deck. One of my favorite cards in that deck is Lifeline. This is a five mana artifact from Urza Saga. It's not cheap. You're looking at like 35 bucks. Uh, so get your printer ready, I guess. Uh, the life Lifeline is... Whenever a creature is put into a graveyard from play, if there is another creature in play, return that creature to play at the end of turn. So as long as as long as there is any single creature that exists in play, when any other creature dies, the di dead creature will jump back into play at the end of the turn. That's hilarious. So uh, how, how about some ETB triggers for the table? Just get a little Eternal Witness, sack that to Mogus. Oh, uh Jim's got a creature in play over there. Eternal Witness is back at the end of the turn. Card advantage. And, hey, Jim, I got Eternal Witness in play. Go ahead, sack your whatever. Like, uh, sack your uh, Reclamation Sage. And that's going to come back and blow up one of Racto Stacks players' permanents. And we can do this all day. Oh, that's and, funny. Yeah. Uh, I love Lifeline. Uh, it it frequently ends up punishing me because uh, <laughs> it... it it does backfire sometimes because you can't actually kill any opponent's creatures because they'll just come back. Yeah. So you got to be in a deck that just wants more things in play mm -hmm. and isn't really trying to play the removal game, but it's a sweet one. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I think lifeline's super sweet. I used to run it in a Gonti deck and it was, it was gasoline. It made that, that deck tick. Um, there were two cards that came to mind for me. Uh, and one of them is not as punishy as, as, as much as it is answery, and that's Heliod's Intervention. It's like four bucks, and X white white modal. Destroy X target artifacts or enchantments, and or enchantments. That's important. And slash or enchantments. Or target player gains twice X life. This is, this is the card. This is the one. This is the way. Uh... If you wanna, if you wanna ruin the Rakdos guy's day, because how many of us have uh, sat under the oppressive reign of the uh, grave Arabos dictate? Yep. Yeah, that's that's just let's let's ruin somebody's day. And speaking of ruining somebody's day, this one's a little more expensive, but uh, living end anybody? Uh, you wanna. You're gonna have to be in a deck where it works, but you're only gonna run living and or uh, living deck death that works. and living yep. end, I guess, in a deck where they work, where they're gonna tick. But a good way to undo everything that person's done and make make uh, the game a lot more complicated is to bring back every creature that's been sacrificed, and it's going to feel, on average, those decks are running less creatures than anybody else on the table. Like, just statistically, the way those decks are built, they're less creatures. So it's going to be a really uneven exchange when you cast Living Death or Living End. And uh, nobody nobody sees the sneaky Living Death with uh, no creatures in play. So 
Yep, Patriarch's bidding does a similar thing as well. Uh, three black black sorcery. Each player chooses a creature type and returns all dead creatures of that type to the battlefield. So you get a little politics. Uh, it rewards tribal synergy, or you could just pick your best thing, or you could get a bunch of things, and everyone gets to pick their favorite. Yeah, that's totally fair. Well, let's go to the last kind of component of Rakdos stacks, and that's really just the loss of life for playing the game. Cards to reference would be like Karavek the Merciless. Literally, when your opponents cast spells, they take damage for the CMC. That totally sucks. Uh, or cards like Havoc Festival, when they throw that on you, just at upkeep, you start getting hammered. So I, I actually came up with a couple cute cards. So here's my real, real cute one, uh, because this actually kind of counteracts all of Rakdos stacks. But it does bring you back to square one. So I think Lich's Mirror is something that, if you can make it work, I think this is a great counteraction for those stacks decks that are removing your resources. So five colorless artifact mythic, buck 45 is what the mystery booster foil edition costs. That's kind of cool. Um, if you would lose the game, instead shuffle your hand, graveyard, all permanents you own into your library, draw fresh seven, and your life total becomes 20. Basically, you're making it to where I didn't have a hand. You made it to where I couldn't have permanents. Maybe, you know, you've even been making me uh, mill my deck, whatever it is. How about all of that goes back? We go back to square one. And I truly believe when you are engaging with someone who is a uh, Rakdos stacks deck... If you did a Lich's Mirror interaction, as long as you weren't, like, the intense threat at the table, which you're probably not against Rakdos, you know, stacks and you playing this card, all of the opponents would be like, oh, well, you know, Bosh, I'm so happy you didn't die. Like, you know, like, you're no longer the threat. Everyone's going to focus on the other guy because you're just sitting there laying pass, laying pass. Um, it's almost like when people get Cyclonic rifted, no one's ever worried about the other people that got rifted. It's always the person that did the rifting. Um, so I think Lich's Mirror could kind of get you under the radar a little bit. But my really cute one is if you have to lose life, you might as well get some benefit from it. So I believe this 8-drop is an amazing card um, and could really do something. So the cute card I wanted to highlight, because whenever you lose life, you get to draw a ton of cards. Villas Broker of Blood. I The card's great on its own. Um, it's not quite Grizzlebrand, apparently, but you know. Uh, but I think it's hilarious that you could almost have a stacks player be staxing you, but while they're staxing you, you're actually drawing cards, and you're gaining gas to then do back on them. And so then it becomes that modal thing of, do you want to play your stacks game and keep doing it and keep making us take damage for drawing cards and add upkeep or whenever we float mana and don't use it for mana burn like i'll keep drawing cards um and it could really make that player kind of think something different potentially my answer is not cute or sexy for this one my answer is play cheap interaction just put swords to plowshares in your deck play putrefy bedevil mortify just there's so many uh, heroes downfall. Uh, just there's so many removal spells and they council's judgment uh, unexpectedly absent is one of my favorites. Uh, all of these cards, by the way, 
Okay, that's not true. Bedevil has never made the cut. Many of these cards I just listed, I also play in Legacy. Like, um, many of the best removal spells in history are just legal in Commander, because why would you ban a removal spell? Uh, we got Assassin's Trophy. We got Abrupt Decay. Like, there... Abrupt Decay might be a little small for the commander, things that it needs to answer, but Assassin's Trophy will get you where you want to go. Just, you don't need to be bleeding out from a 7-drop in the form of Karavek or whatever the, the big banger at the top of the curve is. Like, just kill it. That's my answer. Counter it. Cast counter spell on it. Nice 7-drop. Oh, Bosh, you're speaking my language deep into my heart. Uh... If you have never manatized a Dictate of Erebos, you've never lived. If you've never dazed somebody's Mogus, you're missing out. It turns out even those very, very cheap interactive counterspells can do a lot. Uh, I have two cards, one of, actu- one of which is actually inspired by Grizzlebrand himself, uh, the big, the big bad Bozo, and that's Children of Corliss, which... Uh, You'll be familiar with Bosch from uh, Legacy. Uh, or Yeah, Legacy, right? Not Vintage, Legacy. Yeah, it, it's Legacy. My my channel features a lot of ch- uh, chef jokes. Uh, Hello, children. Every time I play against that deck. Or uh, why don't we think of the children uh, when they <laughs> sacrifice it? And uh, I, I, there is plenty of, of joking to be had about Children of Corliss in the Legacy present day metagame so go ahead continue yeah children of Corliss. for those of you who don't know is a one mana cost human rebel cleric those types matter uh one one and it says sacrifice children of Corliss. you gain life equal to the life you've lost this turn it's a one shot but really in decks that you're gonna want to play this you're going to play it so that's not a dead card which means it's recurrable this is Something you can get back with a Sun Titan, that you can get back with Safin's Reclamation. Uh, I mean, if you're really spicy, you can hit it with a Reanimate uh, and and get uh, just start uh, making again. If you can make those effects asymmetrical, that's the best way to pull ahead in that game. Uh, and then one more card that I wanted to highlight. This is a card that I love dearly and have. I have never resolved it. The game always ends before I resolve it, and that is Profane Transfusion from Commander mm. Legends. Yeah. Six BBB, two target players exchange life totals, and you create an excess horror, an XX horror, uh, where X is the difference of those players' life totals. Uh, the old switcheroo can do a lot, and uh, the old switcheroo with a uh, body left over that can close uh, is uh, chef's kiss. It's, it's very good. It's very, I mean, that's a lot of mana, but games against a Rakdos stack style deck are also going to be a grind. And so that's the reality is that you may not have a lot of permanence, but you very well may have enough lands to cast something like this. And something important to notice, just point out on the Profane, if you guys didn't pick it up when Murph read it, it does say two target players exchange the life totals, and you still get the Colorless Horror artifact. So if there's someone at the table that's been a life gain deck, you know, trying to live against that Rakdos deck, by the time you're able to have nine mana, maybe you're at ten, and maybe the life gain person's still at 35 or 38. 
that gets you a 28-28. Or the other way, they still are the life gain player, but someone else has like at one or two. And it's like, hey, buddy, here's a present. Your, your life total is now 38. Your life total is two, and I still get the 36-36 creature token. So there's some definite politics you could even do with this when you're in that multi-person game. Yeah, and I, I want to jump back in on Children of Coralist just for a second. Uh, that, that got my juices flowing. The uh, Proclamation of Rebirth is a powerful card with children. Proclamation of Rebirth is a three-mana sorcery, uh, two and a white. Return up to three target creature cards with converted mana cost one or less from your graveyard to play, but you can forecast it for five and a white, which is reveal it during your upkeep, pay its forecast cost, and return one creature with mana value one or less from your graveyard to play. So if you're sitting on six mana with a one drop in the graveyard, you can forecast this every turn, just tread water on that life total with your children. Uh, this... This card is famous for the old Martyr proc decks in Extended and Standard, where they use Martyr of Sands, which uh, you is a one-mana white creature. You can pay one, reveal as many cards as you like from your hand, and for each white card you reveal, you gain three life. So you can just gain 12 per turn with Martyr and Proclamation, uh, Treadwater with Children. And they threw a, a little throwback to that into Modern Horizons 2 recently, it's called Abiding Grace. It's two and a white enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, choose one. Gain one life or return a creature with mana value one or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. You know what Rakdos is really bad at doing? Answering enchantments. Yes. It is not in their color pie. It's not even close. They have Chaos Warp and there's that one terrible sorcery from like Theros or whatever that's like uh, black and one exile a creature or enchantment lose life equal to its mana cost. They're really bad at this. If you can stick a Biting Grace or something similar to it and just every turn just pip up a life or pip up a creature, uh, that could go a long way towards treading water against a deck like that. All right. Well, guys, hopefully that gave you a little bit of insight on how maybe you can deal with that pesky little Rakdos stacks player at your table. Hey there, Collective. Do you need a new playmat? Do you need some sleeves? Have you been forgetting your upkeep triggers? Well, be sure to head over to cmdtower.com slash merch and be able to pick up all the great swag made for you guys. It could be the Mr. Comma number five reminder token. It could be the Squee McGee get up and fight coin or heck, even our foil playmat or Jund holiday sweaters. All of it's there. Go check it out. Order! Order! It is time for the Council of the Unbanned! And yes, we have Bosch and Roll back. He didn't refuse to come back after the Grizzlebrand debacle of 2021. And yes, Murphys will be first experiencing this and may never come back, but hopefully he will. Today, we will be hearing arguments for Recurring Nightmare. Mr. Combo, state your case. All right. Well, as always, I believe the ban list is stupid and it shouldn't exist. Uh, so here's another card we should absolutely remove off of it. We're talking about Recurring hot Nightmare. Take. Oh, that is, it is a hot take. Uh, reserve list should be around. Ban list shouldn't. There we go. 
What? Wow. Dude. Wow. Wow. Cancel this man. Cancel him. I feel like we have to turn off this podcast we, immediately. We have to insert multiple Owen Wilsons. Wow. 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 So, wow. recurring nightmare probably has the coolest art we've had so far on a Council of the Unbanned. It is two colorless black. Came out in Exodus. Uh, it's an enchantment. It's a mythic. It states, sacrifice a creature, return recurring nightmare to its owner's hand, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, activate only as a sorcery. This is only banned in Commander. It is legal in Legacy. Vintage. That's a- not true. It's banned in Legacy too, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, Scryfall apparently uh, doesn't know that. All right, let me check. I'm pretty sure we can't play this card. Wow, it does say legal and legacy. Let me, ah! let me consult the thing. Hold on. Carry on. All right. Uh, I'm keeping calm and carrying on. God, I feel like I should just cancel myself for saying that. Um, all right. So, reoccurring nightmare. You know, a couple things to point out before we get into it. Uh, to buy a copy is about 75 bucks because uh, it's really only been printed once. Uh, there is a copy, a uh, gold border from a world championship deck. Uh, it's 742. And uh, one thing, you know, to point this out uh, is that, you know, once the spell resolves, you have priority and you can activate Recurring Nightmare. Your opponents can't really engage with it, even with things like Cross and Grip, because it's part of the cost. So once you have priority, you can do everything you want. Um, other thing to point out is that the sacrifice a creature, return a creature. You can't return the creature that you sacrifice. So that is a little rules thing to point out. Some people get a little confused about that. Um, and so let's, let's talk about why I believe we should be maybe talking about removing this guy from the ban list, maybe even reducing it down to a common and printing the hell out of it. Everyone should have one. Uh, All right, before we jump in, I will confirm this card is legal and legacy. I got my wires crossed. They banned survival of the fittest ah. and recurring nightmare and survival were best friends yes. when they were both legal. Yep. But yes, we can still play recurring nightmare. Okay. Carry on my mistake. So here's here's my thoughts around Recurring Nightmare. It is sorcery speed. Uh, that doesn't matter when you have priority, obviously. Um, it's more of the interactions to your opponents. Sometimes it could be, you know, you're trying to use your graveyard as a toolbox. Hey, you're trying to do a thing. Well, let me sack this token. I'll bring back this creature and, you know, counter your spell from its ETB effect or whatever. Nope, only as a sorcery. Even as you activate it, someone could respond. You could only do it once. Only as a sorcery. Second thing. It is your graveyard, not any. I'm usually a little bit more lenient with reanimation spells uh, when it's only your graveyard versus any graveyard, uh, a.k.a. C. Reanimate. Another thing that I kind of look at this is you do have to have a creature to sacrifice. Now, you don't have to have one in the graveyard, um, according to MTG Salvation, which I would think you have to because you need a legal target. Does it just say target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield? But you apparently don't need to have something in your graveyard to target. You can just sack a creature to bounce it. Um, and so I don't know. I, I look at it and I can absolutely see how this is a very powerful card. Very powerful. Very, very powerful. But I always kind of come back to it. This can't be in the command zone. We're in Commander. It's a singleton format. You have to share the color identity, so you'd have to be in something with black. You can't, you know, try to get away with running this in your Silencia deck. 
And I found some cards I wanted to talk about that I feel like are kind of similar to Reoccurring Nightmare. And therefore, we should unban it. So let's start with our first card. First one I want to bring up is Haunted Crossroads. Two colorless black. It's an enchantment. Single black. Put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. No tap. No instant speed. No nothing. You just do it. Um, this is obviously a worse version of Recurring Nightmare. I get that. I'm not going to argue that it's better. But I will argue, well, Recurring Nightmare is essentially a three-mana lose-a-creature every time you want to try to do its thing because you have to be able and you got to make sure you do it all at sorcery speed well haunted crossroads you pay your three mana once and then it's just black all day long baby let's get that to the top i'll draw it i'll cast the spells i still can get my stuff from the graveyard pretty pretty easy so that's my first one. Second one is hell's caretaker um this is an upkeep only so it's a similar restriction to the sorcery speed it is a tap effect, which doesn't really matter because you can only do it at upkeep. Um, but it does come straight to the battlefield. Uh, it's still a sacrifice a creature. And this is only four mana. So it's only one more mana. It's a creature itself. And it's literally all the same stuff, except you'd never have to bounce Hell's Caretaker back to your hand. And you could even argue its tap effect is a similar drawback to you having to return Recurring Nightmare to hand. Um, and then one of the last ones I want to talk about is Strands of Night. So this is Black Black, Sack a Swamp, uh, Return a Creature from Yard, and there's no limit to how many times you can do this. Um, and so, I want, you know, you pay four to get it out. The card's only 70 cents. Black Black, lose two life, get rid of a swamp, creature card's coming out. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Um, you know, there are lots of Golgari decks out there that run Crucible of the Worlds, and hey, Sack in the Swamp is no big deal to me. Uh, a lot of black decks run Urborg, so those colorless lands can also be swamps. Um, so I think this is also another card. It has a drawback, but it's legal, and it's not that humongous of a drawback. I will look to hear arguments one way or the other before we go to a vote. Murphis, this is your first council. Let's hear from you, because I know Bosch has hot takes. This this Murphis thinks that Bosch may have some squelching takes. Uh, and if I may, uh, Recurring Nightmare is a recurring nightmare. Uh, this card uh, is a plague. If you've played against it in cube, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rough one. And part of that has to do... Uh, with the way it's templated, you sacrifice a creature and return it to its owner's hand as a part of the activation cost. So if you resolve this spell and there's no abilities there or yeah, no abilities that are triggered when it enters the battlefield, you gain priority immediately, which means on your turn, there's not really a great way to interact with this. Um, so I I don't know. I well, that can to, be to clarify the comment you made, Murph, on their turn, it's really hard to interact with. On your turn, being the opponent, it's incredibly easy to interact with. Right. I when I've played this in cube, I've never left this card on the battlefield on my opponent's turn. Uh mm -hmm. you you pick it up 
and you're you're playing in your main phase. Uh, it's very grindy. There's a lot of things to track in terms of things leaving the graveyard, going back to your hand, or yeah, going back to your hand, going back to the battlefield. Uh, so the logistics of it are a little crazy. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear some of Bosch's takes, though, and, and see what he has to say about this. Uh, I have a couple thoughts about this one. I'm not going to come in blazing hot on this the way I did on Grizzlebrand. Oh. Like, I, I am less. I am significantly less passionate about this one okay. than I was about uh, the Grizzfather. Um, one thing I want to add, you, Mr. Combo, you presented a number of things that have comparable effects that are legal. Correct. And I want to add Phyrexian Reclamation to that list. That was actually That's... my number four, but I actually thought you guys might roast me for that one because it's like, oh, okay, oh, no. Phyrexian Reclamation, you're being real cute over there, picking like a really popular card. So I'm glad you talked about it because I, I think that's no, another comparable I... one. Yeah, I think Phyrexian Reclamation is both a closer analog and a higher power level than at least three of the, or two of the three things you said. Mm-hmm. Like the whole time I was like, uh, like, this is a $5 uncommon, despite being printed five times. That's how good this card is. And every time this card hits the battlefield, I'm rolling my eyes like, oh, now I need enchantment <laughs> removal? Like, you just can't kill the creatures. Uh, so Phyrexian Reclamation, I think, is a comparable analog to the type of gameplay you can expect out of Recurring Nightmare. However, the twist is that Reclamation stays in play. You can disenchant a Reclamation. You can get to your turn and Reclamation Sage or Harmonic Sliver or like whatever. Like you can pick off a Phyrexian Reclamation. It can get swept up in an Austere Command or a Pernicious Deed or whatever. It's there. It is a physical presence on the battlefield. Recurring Nightmare is an enchantment only weirdly on its type line. This is a sorcery. Mm -hmm. Make no mistake. It's a sorcery with a buyback free. Like, imagine just, like, the buyback mechanic, but it's just zero. <laughs> it's, like... Hey, uh, you do lose a creature. There, There's a cost, kind of. Yeah, right. Like, there is a cost. You do need a creature in play. But there is a, a timing thing that we haven't talked about yet. We talked about recurring nightmare arriving, and you have priority to immediately sack a creature, which plays around enchantment removal, but doesn't play around creature removal. If you play recurring nightmare first then cast a creature. Now you have priority with a creature and you can play around creature removal and sack that creature immediately. So this dances in both directions, whatever you need it to do, whatever knob you need to turn. And I think that more than the power level, like obviously if you just have two things with insane ETB triggers and you just loop them back and forth, uh, it's going to get crazy. Uh, That is where that's like where the combo like craziness happens. Uh, but just the repetitive gameplay of it. And we haven't talked about yet of what happens when you have six mana and not just three. What happens when you have nine mana? You play Recurring Nightmare for three. Sure. Sack your uh, sack your Sun Titan or whatever. Return your other busted ETB creature and pick up your Recurring Nightmare. Maybe Sun Titan returns a land. So every three loops, you can recurring nightmare again, mm-hmm. and just like at EDH Commander games go big. We're talking about uh, games that end on turn twelve and beyond. You could recurring nightmare four times in a turn, and it wouldn't even be that outrageous to conceive. 
that is where this card differs from all of the other analogs. Like uh, putting that creature in the graveyard is beneficial if you've built your deck with enters the battlefield yep. or death triggers in mind. And it's very easy. You should be playing those creatures anyway. You have three opponents to defeat. Your creatures should be gaining some value immediately on a, upon arrival or upon death. Uh, wow, I just had this like fe- waking fever dream of looping Revelark with this and what that looks like. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, now I'm a little disappointed it's banned just because I want to do that once. <laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's so easy uh, to just completely break the game for a low mana cost, do it more than once if you have more mana, and it's just naturally packed into creatures you want to be playing in Commander anyway. Mm. Like, uh, I, I came in pretty soft on this one, like, oh, maybe it is fine, but I've talked myself into it. This one is not fine, and it's actually not even close to fine. So the last thing that I want to ask you, uh, Bosch and Murphys, before we go to the recap and the vote, is... Do you think the sorcery speed aspect of the card, because it basically is a sorcery, um, do you think that does depower it in any way? Or do you think even if that as a sorcery text didn't exist, it would still just be as good? Oh, it definitely nerfs it. Imagine if you could just float this thing in play and just anytime a removal spell is pointed at your homie, you just flip it. No way. The, the sorcery is extremely important at neutering this card and it's still out of bounds yeah i i would agree with that i think i i could imagine a reality where in 2019 the fire design team decided to print recurring nightmare at instant speed but i can't think of another time in magic's history where this would have been close uh this card's busted it's it's busted in half. It is not Grizzlebrand, right? It is not. Uh, I I'm not nearly as hot on this, like you said, as some some other cards on the ban list. But imagine you have a creature in play that can generate mana as it dies, like Priest of Gix, and you're circumventing some of the Priest of Gix. When it dies, you make three black. Imagine now you're looping, but you're mana neutral. It just it gets out of hand so quickly, or and it doesn't be, take a lot. You'd be mana from... neutral every other turn because you'd have to have another one in the graveyard that you're bringing back that also produces mana. So like one gets you three, but then the other one doesn't. So you need to pay the three. So it's every other turn it's mana neutral. Sure. And by every other turn, you mean every other activation? Yeah, every other yes, activation. It's happening more than once in a turn. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think I think the other thing with this for me is the repetitive gameplay, like that or the this the tire spinning, right? Like we've all sat through twenty thirty minute commander turns where nothing determinative happens, and there's a reason why decks like Four Horsemen are either banned or soft banned at the competitive level because taking infinite gameplay actions without closing the game it it's bad for everyone right and i know that's not necessarily how uh four horsemen works like there's other reasons like in terms of the rules why that doesn't work but it's the same feeling especially when you're playing a game for fun like a commander game do we have a moment for me to explain what that means to our listeners with the the rules and legacy context so four horsemen 
is a deck that uses Mesmeric Orb, which is a two-mana artifact that whenever an, a permanent is untapped, its controller mills one, and Basalt Monolith, which is a three-mana artifact that taps for three and doesn't untap unless you pay three. So Basalt Monolith can tap and untap itself infinitely for no gain, unless you have Mesmeric Orb, which mills one each time. And this deck plays Narcomoeba, Dread Return, some way to win, uh, probably... Uh, I, I don't even know what the win con would be at this point, uh, but base and it also has one Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. So basically, you mill yourself for one infinitely, in air quotes, until you have milled the correct combination of things that does not include Emrakul. Because when you mill Emrakul, your graveyard shuffles in. And theoretically, given infinite time and infinite iterations, you could mill your deck Emercool's the and last shuffle card. your deck randomly in yep. until Emrakul is the last card, and then your Thassa's Oracle is lethal. But you cannot say to your opponent or to the judge in a tournament, I'm going to do this 99 times, and then my bottom card will be Emrakul. You can't actually name the number of times it would take to iterate this, and thus even attempting the combo is a slow play violation, and it is soft banned in tournaments for that reason. That's good to know. That's that's interesting. Well, let's let's get down to this. I think we all know that everyone's going to clearly vote for this to be unbanned, but the argument uh on the stack before we go to res or passing the priority is it's a sorcery speed effect. Uh it only does target your graveyard, it's not any. You do have to have a creature in play to start the um I don't want to say a loop, but I think we've all kind of talked ourselves into it kind of turns itself into a loop. Um, and, you know, my big thing as well is you always need three mana to cast the card back from your hand. And I think Bosch did the best example with Phyrexian Reclamation. I mean, that one's literally if you wanted to say, hey, you have to keep paying three to do uh, Recurring Nightmare. Well, this one is just keep you keep paying two and two life. Uh, to constantly get everything back to hand that you could possibly want, and it's at instant speed. So, I clearly am going to vote for it to be unbanned. Murphus, your first cast. You're on thin ice. Just putting it out there. You're going to vote to unban or ban? Well, now I'm getting pressure from the big boss mc5 i don't know what to do about that other than to say keep this puppy banned keep it keep it all tucked in under the banless blankie bosh come on i you did, did, i know you started off softer and then you're like oh no this needs to stay banned but did my very weak argument at the very end get you to unban it it did not uh despite the similarities to phyrexian reclamation uh the two mana two life and the full mana cost of the creatures involved that you conveniently left out of your argument uh th there is at least some gate there that you don't get your your looping titans or your looping uh i i don't even know what the the busted etb trigger is cultivator colossus you want to do that three <laughs> times this turn let's go yeah uh and Oh wow, we I didn't even talk about synergy. Like what if you have uh Kodama of the whichever tree. tree chucks permanence into play? Yeah, so the the reclamation will trigger Kodama, the creature arriving will trigger Kodama, and 
that creature arriving can put wreck back in. That's an infinite combo. I think I just invented an infinite combo. Good thing it's banned. <laughs> so let's uh, let's just keep this one on the ban list because I just stumbled backwards while arguing against this card into an infinite combo with it. And I'm sure that's just one of many. And that doesn't sound like fun to me. Well, it looks like Recurring Nightmare is going to have to sit on that ban list for a little bit longer. Well, thanks for getting sweaty with us. And remember, if you're looking for more fire content, be sure to check out the rest of what CMD Tower and Bosch and Roll puts out. I'm Mr. Commodore 5. You can always find me at Mr. Commodore 5. I'll spell that except for the 5 on Twitter um, and in our amazing Discord. So you heard about the Patreon earlier. If you join, you can hit us up. And this is Murphus. You can always find me in the Discord, on Twitter, and I also write articles over at Commander's Herald. And I'm Boss and Roll. You can find me at Boss and Roll on YouTube, and I'm also on Twitter, and anywhere else you want to be. Boss and Roll everywhere. Remember, cold takes are temporary. Hot takes last for eternity. Mm-hmm.